You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by Chris Fedor, our Cavaliers beat reporter. And um, actually, you know, amidst a, an offseason that has been <laughs> horribly long for the Cavaliers, and it's been it's probably going to be over a year or about a year between games for the Cavaliers, it looks like. Um, it seems as though we have some things to talk about, and they're not only draft things, but um, some things to discuss outside of the – Cavaliers mini bubble that they went through and uh, following the NBA championship uh, that was given to LeBron James, the LA Lakers. But first, let's check in with Chris. Chris, how you doing? What's going on? Buddy, I'm good. I've been busy. I've been writing a lot lately. A lot to get yeah, into with these Cavs. I know. It's crazy. Like I was just <laughs> talking about, you know, these uh, these Cavaliers, we haven't seen much, uh, you know, much action. But finally, it seems like they're starting to, you know, ramp up. And you did your mock draft, and and we're yeah. gonna actually start to talk about things. So it's exciting. I'm given uh, I'm given all these aggregators all this content. <laughs> you you're a king of that. You're I, a king of that. What they can love, I say? They, they love it. Um, <laughs> we'll get into all that stuff, and um, you know, we'll, we'll get into a bunch today. There's actually a lot we have to get into, um, and you can find everything that Chris has written on Cleveland.com/slash/Cavs. Um, and there's, like I said, a lot of success, subscriber exclusive. So if you want to be a subscriber, um, you definitely have to go to the cleveland.com website and ch- check out, uh, Chris's work and you can, um, you know, follow Chris on subtext. Uh, it's three 99 a month. He will give you the, um, analysis and the inside, uh, information that you are looking for from inside the building and in independence again, three 99 a month, 14 day free trial. So go check him out. Um, Chris, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the mock draft? Do you want to start with, um, maybe something a, a little less, just as important, um, I, I would say, in, in Kevin Porter Jr., but I was thinking we could start, you know, anywhere. Yeah, I mean, we could start anywhere. We could even start with Ty Lu getting the job with the Los Angeles Clippers, because That's obviously great. Ty was here for so long, and we have great inside information on Ty. That's a great That's a great place to start. So, okay. uh, Ty Lu, actually, Ty Lu, I thought for, for, the, for Ty Lu, um, do you think there was any animosity whatsoever uh, I mean, you know, Ty Lue and Doc are so close. Yeah. Ty Lue, you know, credits Doc with being his mentor and, you know, a guy that has been on his, you know, Doc has had Ty Lue on his bench for so long. Yeah. Uh, do you, was there any, you know, issue there with, with you know, Doc getting fired and then Ty taking over? I thought so. I thought there was going to be. And I talked to a couple of different people that would know the answer to that and, and know Ty well and know the Clippers organization well. Um, and they said as, as much as Ty respects 
Doc and, you know, has love for Doc and, and didn't like the way things went down with the Clippers. It was just never going to be something that held him back from taking what somebody termed the best open job on the market. You know what I mean? Like there were other places where Ty probably could have gotten a look. Houston made sense. Uh, but once ownership kind of got involved in that and started spearheading the process, it seemed like Ty was no longer going to be the front runner in Houston. Uh, New Orleans makes tons of sense for Ty, or at least it did. David Griffin is there. Trajan Langdon is also there in that front office. He's got Zion Williamson, young player and Brandon Ingram. But but I think if you asked anybody, Hayden, given location, um, given organization, uh, given talent on the roster, uh, all the different factors that these coaching candidates look at when it comes to a head coaching job, um, I think you could make a strong argument that that the Clippers job was the best one. And Ty arguably was the best coach on the market. So, you know, if there was a comparable job to the Clippers, then maybe I think Ty would have been like, you know, there's some distrust here with this organization or there's some mending of fences that need to be done. Um, and they probably do have to have those kinds of conversations. But but from the people that I talked to, it just it just wasn't to the level where it was going to keep him from taking the best job in his eyes. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and Ty, I mean, I think that everything that he's been through since he left Cleveland, I think he's ready for this man. I mean, you know, we all had a really good relationship. Yeah. with Ty. He was, you know, you know, he obviously went through his struggles there at the end with his health and whatnot. But um, I think it was perfect for him to take some time. To, to, you know, to, to do his own thing and to find, you know, find the right situation, not rushing anything. Um, and I think the Clippers are kind of a perfect spot for him because he's been around teams with big egos and big stars. Yeah. And, um, he's definitely a guy that can smooth, you know, mend fences and, and bring guys together. So I'm excited to see what he can do there. I also wonder what their roster is going to look like going into mm-hmm. next season. But uh, but I think Ty for that spot is, is very, very a, a great fit, really. I agree, and I think it's perfect for Ty from this standpoint too, Hayden, because and and perfect for the Clippers, because you could take a look at some of these other candidates and, and you could convince yourself why they're the right people for your organization. And you go through the interview process and you talk about all the things that coaching the Clippers entails. And you mentioned it. It's Los Angeles. It starts yep. there. Tons of eyeballs. Everybody um, cares about what you have to say, what you do. Uh, the personalities that are in that locker room, you're talking about Kawhi Leonard, very different guy, Paul George, different guy, Montres Harrell might be back, who knows. Um, and then just like all the different factors that, that come into play when, when you're coaching a team like the Clippers. Um, these candidates could say like, yeah, I know what I'm getting myself into. I understand the challenges. I understand the expectations. I understand the pressure. But I just don't think you know those things until you feel those things. And Ty felt that. Ty went through that here in Cleveland. Um, you know, In a big, big way. <laughs> in a huge way to the point, Hayden, where like he wasn't in a great place in terms of his health. He had to step away because, you know, not to say this lightly, but but it harmed him from a health standpoint, all of the pressure all of the expectations, uh, the, the the late nights, the travel, um, the constant worry about managing the different personalities inside the locker room. So you have somebody that has gone through that 
at the same kind of level. He knows what to expect, like actually knows what to expect in a way that some of these other candidates don't. And here's the other thing that he has on his side too, Hayden. It's very similar to when he took over for David Blatt with the Cavs. Um, when you're with an organization, you see firsthand, one, how it's run, two, uh, the players that you have and, and what buttons to push, um, and three, what works and what doesn't work. So Ty has all of this institutional knowledge about the Los Angeles Clippers and why they failed and why they melted down. And now he can take that information and then he can use that to his benefit. Whereas if you were to hire somebody from the outside, yeah, they've watched it from afar, but they haven't seen it up close the way that Ty has. They don't have that institutional knowledge. So, you know, that really helped him with the Cavs once he took over. And I think it's going to help him here when it comes to the Clippers. And to, to answer your question, I think this makes it less likely that the Clippers feel like they have to change the roster in any specific way. It makes it more likely that they look at Ty as the guy who can make all the pieces fit and bring it together and get these guys to buy in, get their trust the way that he did when he took over for David Blatt in Cleveland. Maybe we will finally get that Clippers-Lakers matchup that everybody was <laughs> looking for this uh, this uh, this season. I mean, that was the kind of everybody was waiting for that Clippers-Lakers um, Western Conference Finals, and it just never came to be. Obviously, but now it's got an even bigger layer with Ty there, and um, maybe maybe he's the guy to do it. I mean, he did it in Cleveland; he got him there, and um, I'm excited to see what he can do. And I, he's a, I mean, again, we both you know Ty well. And, uh, you know, we were around Ty. He's just a great dude. And I, I wish the best to him for sure. And here's the other thing, Hayden. So sometimes when you have this conversation about a coach like this and, and you started off with great dude, like that has a negative connotation. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. people will yes. be like, oh, well, what kind of coach is he? You know what I mean? Like, why are you leading with his personality or right. anything like that? And And the other thing is. Like you talked about Ty's ability to manage egos and personalities. Yeah. You know, one of the first things that he did when he took over for David Blatt was call out Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. He said, look, you guys have to put your brands aside and you have to understand what kind of sacrifices it's going to take to be a champion. And then, you know, he called out LeBron. LeBron, he said, yeah, Le absolutely. He said, LeBron, you need to get in better shape. You need to lose a little bit of weight here so that you can carry us the way that you're going to have to carry us. And then game seven of the NBA finals at halftime, he laid into LeBron again because he needed more from LeBron in game seven against the Warriors. So, yes, he is great when it comes to communicating. Yes, he can manage personalities and egos. But that shouldn't have a negative connotation either because Ty is a great coach. He is right. a great tactician as well. His X's and O's, very underrated. He got a, a clever nickname here in Cleveland, A-Ty-O, because of his after timeout plays that were taken by a lot of other coaches around the NBA. So I think sometimes Ty gets so much praise for the kind of communicator um, and, and leader he is that, that it overshadows the kind of tactician that he is. And, you know, that should not be something that uh, gets overlooked here in this particular hire. Uh, now, all of a sudden, when you're in a seven-game series, it demands adjustments from game to game. It, it demands unique outside-the-box strategies in order to get your team over the hump. You know, now you have somebody who can coach with the best.
Absolutely. And I, I mean, not that Doc couldn't, right? Not that he couldn't, but right. look, man, like he has come up short a lot more uh, than than what you would think. And some people wonder about his in-game adjustments, um, his rotations, uh, his 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 strategy that he puts in at the beginning of the series and what it looks like at the end. Again, like I'm not taking anything away from Doc and saying like he's this horrible coach, but you know there have been more questions about that with him um, in recent years when the Clippers and these other teams that he's been part of have blown these three one leads. Doc, we, they will find out in Philadelphia, right? That's where. Yeah, <laughs> they'll find out just how how good a coach and what he can do there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and maybe Doc needs a change of scenery. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. Doc needs a new group of personnel with which to work. We'll see. Yeah. The, the, the 76ers will be a fascinating story this offseason. We've already talked a lot about Ben Simmons, about Embiid. What are they going to do? But um, I'm, you know what? Either way, it's going to be exciting to see what happens in, in L.A. with the Clippers. It's going to be exciting to see what happens with Philly. It's going to be exciting to see what happens with, you know, the Houston Rockets are undergoing some changes. Um, there's a lot. And as we mentioned, this is all because <laughs> <laughs> LeBron James yes. is a destroyer of organizations. And they all yes. figure, they all feel that they need to change and, and find a way to get better. But the bottom line is that they'll never have LeBron James. So um, we'll see how that works. Um, to transition terribly into this next topic, <laughs> I, honest, I honestly, you I got to work on these transitions. Say it again got to work on these transitions, man. I know, but it's just like, well, we kind of came into this like, okay, we're going to just kind of jump around. Yeah. You know, not every transition has to be perfect. That's true. That's sometimes, true. Sometimes you can just move. Yeah, I mean, you could just do the Adam the Bull and all of a sudden say, let's switch some gears. Let's switch some <laughs> gears. Right, exactly. Switching gears. Or let's switch some gears. gears. Um, <laughs> switching gears. Like well, I don't want to make light of it because it is a serious issue. Um, and I missed it. I completely missed this. And I just I saw it the other day when you wrote about it. Um, Kevin Porter Jr., a little bit of a um, unnerving situation. Um, you know, so, social media is social media. And, you know, things are put on social media that mm-hmm. are very cryptic and very often, you know, they're not always what they seem. Um, but Kevin Porter Jr., um, put a uh, black image with a caption, you ever wish to see the end of your time on his, um, I believe it was Instagram. Yes. And obviously that's not something that you want to see from a very young player. And, you know, obviously with the Cavaliers have been very, you know, at the forefront of mental health issues with Kevin Love and, and, you know, have been, you know, promoting mental health and, um, you know, preventing this or getting rid of the stigma of mental illness. So, um, your post basically said that Kevin Porter Jr. is okay, that he's doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you can tell us without getting, you know, I'm sure the Cavaliers didn't get into it too much with you. What day was this? Was this Friday? Was this Saturday? This was October 16th, so that would be, I believe, on Friday. Friday. Okay, so from my perspective, Hayden, I didn't, like, I don't like taking what these guys tweet and then turning it into a post and like twisting it out of context in my own image. Does that make sense? Like like people could see this Instagram post and they could kind of take it whatever way they wanted. Right. And I didn't want to do that. So what I did was I took a screen cap 
of the Instagram post and I sent it to a lot of different people with the calves. And yeah. and I did that because I was worried. Right. I was like, course. whoa, this is kind of cryptic. You know, this kind of came out of nowhere. So, you know, Kevin is somebody who I've talked to a number of different times, both about basketball and about life. I feel like I've grown pretty close to him over the last year where, you know, we talk about just random things. Uh, so I just reached out to a lot of people with the Cavs and I said, is he okay? Like, that's all yeah. I cared about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Um, so when I got a response from multiple members of the organization saying we reached out to him because we were worried, I was like, okay, now it's a post. Now right. it's a story because I felt yeah. like the Cavs speaking with him, one, about posting these kinds of cryptic things and, and how they can be taken any way possible. And you have to be really, really careful about that. Yeah. And just their level of concern about this, where they were thinking how a lot of fans were thinking and how I was thinking initially. Um, so when I got back from multiple members of the organization, we talked to him, he's fine. He understands what this kind of post does on social media. He'll learn from it. He'll be more aware in the future. And then I talked to somebody else that's really, really close to him. And they said, we were worried. We all were worried. We all reached out to him, made sure that he was okay. You know, then I thought it was basically done. Like that was the end of the story from my perspective. Right. Well, I think the, the bottom line is that we're, he's just, we're glad he's okay. And we're glad the Cavs have reached yeah. out. Hopefully, hopefully again, hopefully it's an issue that, um, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what prompted it. I, I honestly, I mean, maybe this makes me a bad reporter, but I honestly didn't ask that question. I didn't say, "Hey, do you know why he posted what he posted? Do you know what sparked?" Yeah, but even if you ask that, I mean, that you know, that's super. That that could be pretty personal, and it like, could be right. Yeah, you know, and that again, I mean, I'm very, I'm very sensitive to the mental health issue, and like, mm -hmm. if he is going through something that you know. I'm sure the Cavaliers would like to handle it in her in house. And that's right. my whole thing. I just, I just, I hope that he's doing okay. And I hope that he's, you know, feeling as good as he can feel. And if he does need help, if he feels he needs help, he gets help. And I'm sure again, that that's an organizational thing. So um, just from, from our perspective and from every, I think everybody's perspective, we just hope he's okay and doing okay. And the Cavaliers seem to indicate that that's the case. So that's the good news. Right. And look, here's the other thing. Um, so KPJ, before he decided to delete his social media completely, I believe his Instagram is still deleted. I know his Twitter is, right? Uh, let's see if he still has an Instagram. I don't think, I don't think he has an Instagram anymore. Mm -hmm. I think he deleted it completely. But before he did, um, you know, he tweeted out something about the media blowing things out of proportion. <laughs> I'm fine, yeah. whatever. You know, like, again, the Cavs were worried. The Cavs yeah. saw his Instagram post. They were worried to the point that J.B. Bickerstaff reached out, I'm told. Kobe Altman reached out, I'm told. Lindsey Gottlieb reached out, I'm told. So, like, this wasn't a media creation. No. Like, he sent the Instagram post. Some people were concerned, including members of the Cavs. If members of the Cavs didn't think it was a big deal, right, if they didn't think it was being blown out of proportion, they wouldn't have reached out to him to make sure that he was okay. They wouldn't have been worried in the first place, but they were. So I do think it was a story. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, and again, I think the bottom line, as I said, is just, you know, people are concerned. That's, mm -hmm. that's a good thing. I think that's a good quality that, you know, the organization's concerned. We were concerned. Everybody's concerned. So I think, again, um, you know, we just wish nothing but the best for, for Kevin and his mental health. I think that's fair. Mm -hmm. All right. Switching gears. <laughs> Pulling it out of the bowl. Switching gears. Adam the Bull would be proud of this episode. Just switching gears, all the all the all the switching yes. gears today. Yeah. Um, you wrote a uh, you had a Hey Chris column, and you are you can send questions to Chris for his Hey Chris columns, basically asking Chris, um, you know, all kinds of Cavaliers questions, and you can also sign up for his um, subtext again two one six two zero eight four four nine nine, and that is a fourteen day free trial, and then three ninety nine a month after that. Um, the first question in the main headline of your Hey Chris piece um, was really the the biggest and kind of most, I don't know, the most interesting question to me because this hasn't even, I mean, obviously, I don't think it would happen before the season, um, but uh -huh. the question is basically, would the Cavaliers, are they going to trade, try to trade Andre Drummond? And that came from South Carolina, by the way. So thanks, yeah. to, uh, thanks for uh, tuning in from South Carolina. Or in and listen, reading Chris's stuff from South Carolina. And to uh, go behind the curtain a little bit, it came from multiple people. So I don't know where okay. this came from originally, but right. I had like five questions about trading Andre Drummond. So I don't know if, if somebody wrote this and somebody was going off of that, but I was like, wow, okay, this is obviously a hot question. Right. Let's answer this one. Um this is complicated, I feel like. Yeah. Because we we kind of have to start at square one. Um, when the Cavs acquired Andre in February, Hayden, it wasn't a long-term investment. No. It was a trial run. They're like, okay, uh, we don't have to give up anything. We can add an all-star center. Let's see what this looks like. We don't have a player like him on the roster. Even though they had Tristan Thompson at the time, like, Andre Drummond's a different kind of player in some ways than Tristan. He's oh, bigger. Absolutely. He's more bulky. He's more the traditional center where Tristan's a little bit undersized for the position. So they're like, okay, what's this look like with this kind of guy? Let's see how this looks with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton and Kevin Porter Jr. Is this something that can work for us in the future? Is this something that makes those guys better? Is this something that those guys need around them to maximize their potential? And the other thing is they were like, okay, uh, this guy, Andre Drummond, is very similar uh, to a player that we could draft in the 2020 NBA draft. He's very similar to James Wiseman. So let's take a look. Let's take a free look, essentially free, at this kind of player and experiment with a bunch of different lineup combinations and get some answers going into the offseason. Now, it didn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the pandemic had other ideas, and right. Andre missed a couple of games with injury. So he only played eight games with this group. He only played eight games under head coach J.P. Bickerstaff. So there's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to Andre and his fit, not just on this team, uh, but alongside the young developing players that are most important to the Cavs' future. On top of that, he was always an insurance policy in case Tristan Thompson were to leave this offseason. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that two months after 
you know, talks between the Cavs and Tristan's camp essentially went nowhere in terms of extension talks. Uh, that the Cavs decided that they were going to try and look for some help inside. Um, they they reached out to the Indiana Pacers. Uh, they explored the possibility of trading for Miles Turner, I'm told. I wrote about that a number of months ago. Um, I think we've talked about that on this podcast as well. Yep. Those conversations didn't go very far because the Cavs didn't have the pieces that Indiana wanted. Um, and, and the pieces that Indiana did want, the Cavs weren't willing to give up at the time. So then they went to Andre Drummond, somebody that Dan Gilbert knows well, somebody that Kobe Altman knows well from his time with Team USA Basketball. And they decided, okay, we're going to bring in Andre. We understand that he's got a player option in his contract, but there's nobody in free agency that we would rather have instead of Andre Drummond. Uh, so it was always in their mind, like, a short-term trial run that could have extended a lot further than that, depending how things went in the final two months. But when they were robbed of the final two months, it threw a lot of things off. Um, so now we're into a situation where Drummond has a decision to make. He's probably going to opt in, follow the money, He's got a $28.7 million player option for this upcoming season. No team is going to give him close to that. And I'm told that um, initial conversations between the Cavs and Andre Drummond in terms of uh, contract extension uh, have not gone very well. Uh, they're very far apart in, in their views of Andre um, and his value. So... Um, I, I don't have the exact numbers, but but I think it's very similar to the Cavs would be willing to go 15 to 20, let's say in that range per year. Um, and Andre wants north of that to be able to bypass free agency in 2021, where it's a loaded class and he's probably going to be able to cash in because the teams that miss out on the big, big names are probably going to overpay for the other names. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So um, that's where a trade comes in. Like if, if he leaves in free agency in 2021, you get no asset for him. He just walks out the door. But if you trade him before then, either after he opts into his contract, which per NBA rules, as soon as he opts into his contract, the Cavs could flip him in a trade. They don't have a waiting period for that. Um, or around the deadline to uh, a team that is looking for a piece to put them over the hump, and he's on an expiring contract, like that changes things a little bit. So that's where, to me, the trade comes into play. And wouldn't they want to, I mean, you know, obviously because they missed out on the opportunity to see him in Cavs uniform for, for you know, a good period of time and for the, for the amount of time they wanted to, I mean, wouldn't they want to see him for another 20, 25, maybe 30, 40 games? I mean, isn't that the point of all this? And he's going to opt in. So, I mean, obviously the deadline, I, I just couldn't see them trading him before the deadline. So the only, I, I don't think that's a high likelihood either. Um, the only thing that would make me reconsider that is what happens with Tristan Thompson um, again, somebody has labeled that a 50-50 chance. Again, that's better than what we all thought it was going to be in February when the Cavs acquired Drummond. Um, and, and what happens in the draft? Like, is there a situation where James Wiseman falls?
falls to number five. If there is, James Wiseman is represented by the same person that represents Andre. They'd be taking minutes away from each other. It would be putting a damper on both of their value in some ways. And maybe the Cavs feel like the best way to unclog that front court is by trading Andre. You know, again, I think a lot of things are going to be predicated on what happens both in the draft and what the Cavs do in free agency, not just with Tristan, but other options with that mid-level exception as well. Um, but multiple league sources tell me that if if the Cavs want something significant in return for Andre, and there's probably not a huge market for him, and they're probably not going to get a lot of value back in return, but teams often get desperate around the time of the trade deadline. Um, and, and that's when, if the Cavs are willing to take on a little bit extra money uh, that goes beyond the 2020-2021 season, uh, that, that some team may be willing to give up a decent asset or two for a guy who could be them a missing a missing piece. Like, let's say some team in the Western Conference is looking at the Los Angeles Lakers, and it's, it's the first half of the season, and, and they evaluate their own roster and say, like, we don't have enough size to compete with the Lakers. They're just too big. They're too athletic. We need another player. Well, Andre would probably be the one that they would go to. And if they consider him the quote-unquote missing piece or a significant move at the trade deadline that helps them get over that hump, then maybe they would get a little bit more desperate in terms of the offer that they would make. The, it, yeah, I, I just think that that's exactly how it's going to go. I mean, I just, I could not see, I mean, obviously anything can happen, but I just cannot yeah. see the Cavaliers not wanting to see him play out. I mean, regardless of what happens with Tristan, regardless of what happens in the draft, I mean, say Wiseman is the pick there. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. You're right that anything can happen, and maybe Wiseman would change things. But if even with Tristan, I don't think – I just think it makes the most sense, and they would get the most for him um, at the deadline regardless, even if he does struggle a little bit. I mean, teams are desperate, and that's what happens. So, And I think that's the big point, Aiden. I think yeah. it all depends on what, what kinds of offers the Cavs get for him. Right. And if his value, which has taken a hit over the last couple of years – reignites because of the size that that is needed now to compete with the Lakers and because once he opts into his contract then he becomes an expiring deal and we have seen at times in the NBA especially in a year before big time free agency 2021 free agency is huge in the NBA there's so many big names available you know that may be when a team says okay we've got this guy who is making around 28 million per year but it extends through 22-23 like give us Andre and then we'll also throw in I don't know a sweetener of a first round pick or a young up and coming player or something along those lines so that we get that salary off our books long term we get somebody who helps us in the short term and then we can still be players in free agency again I, I think that's probably the best chance um, and and if there is some way to salvage Andre's value, that's probably it. I get asked all the time, and but whether it be the Cavaliers, the Browns, the Indians, obviously you can't trade at Ohio State. But I I, I am <laughs> all the time I am asked, well, why can't the Cavs trade for this? Why can't the Browns trade for this? Why can't the Indians trade for this? <laughs> and my answer is always that it takes two to tango. Like yeah. 
the, okay, the Cav- if the Cavaliers, like I'm saying, the Cavaliers probably wouldn't trade Andre Drummond until the trade deadline. But guess what? If they if they get blown away by a deal in September and somebody really wants Andre Drummond, they wake up one morning and with GM's like, I just really want Andre Drummond today. Then it'll happen. It's 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 so much easier and more complicated than it than it like than it than people think. Like people are like, oh well, we should just be able to go trade for this person. We should just be able to go trade for that person. We should be able to trade this person for whatever we want. It's like it's not how that works. You know, we right. talk about trading Francisco Lindor all the time, and we talk about oh well, the Browns need to trade for a safety, or the Cavaliers need to trade for a small forward. It's I mean, it's like it's not that easy. It really isn't. So. I think it's about timing. I think it's about, you know, like where Andre Drummond is, where the Cavaliers are, what they what kind of offers they get. And we'll see. We'll definitely um, keep an eye on that as we go forward. Um, this will be a better transition because we have talked about the uh, NBA draft and if the Cavaliers have a shot at James Wiseman. But you recently put out a mock draft. And I cannot – I, I, I have to tell you, I was surprised. Yeah, I know. Because we've talked through the, we've th- we've talked about the draft since maybe March, April, and, <laughs> before um, then I think. Yeah, before, right, February, and yeah. uh, I think at one point it was a nightmare scenario that yeah. the Cavaliers would end up with a certain player, and uh, you you put that player at number five. So I don't know if – are we going to give all the secrets away to your – because I know it's a subscriber exclusive. Again, you can subscribe to Chris's uh, text messages and whatnot, and you can subscribe to us at Cleveland.com. Um, definitely you should be on the lookout for that. But Chris did a full first-round mock. Wait, is it a subscriber exclusive? It is, yes. Oh, somebody must have done that after the facts. Oh well, yeah, it's it's a subscriber exclusive, so now okay. you know. <laughs> um, right. It's it's twenty twenty, sign of the times. <laughs> if people want your if people want your to get inside your brain, they're gonna have to pay for it. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, like I said, I don't know if I want to get all up, you know, into the. No, we can. That's what this okay. is for. It's fine. All right, perfect. Okay, so Thanks. let's go down the list. So you you have Lamelo <laughs> going number one to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I can just hear the disdain in your voice. <laughs> Uh, no, it's not the stand. I'm just, I'm, I'm just. This is like it's very different from what we've talked about. It's like you're, ch- you're changing on me, and maybe that hold means on, the Cavaliers on. are, maybe the Cavaliers are changing on us. Hold on, I think it's exactly Can what I you're just, saying. I gotta clear something up right from the beginning, just so everybody is understanding. And maybe I should have put this in the little intro thing. Um, to me, a mock draft has always been about what I think is going to happen, not Maybe what I think should happen. Right. Okay, that's very fair. Thank you. Very for important. You should have put your dis- you should have put that disclaimer right at the top. <laughs> I know, right? And I do did. not support this pick necessarily. <laughs> it's like retweets don't equal opinions yes. or something. Right. Okay. So, okay. number one overall, Lamelo uh, Ball goes to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, I kind of went back and forth on that. It's either going to be him or Anthony Edwards. I don't think it makes a huge difference one way or the other because. Because even if it's, let's say it's Anthony Edwards instead of LaMelo Ball, then I think the other guy goes third. Okay. So it's so pretty much one and three are interchangeable. But one, number two has is, is stayed the same for pretty much the entirety. And that's James Wiseman. Uh, okay. Good fit with the Golden State Warriors who maybe need some size and help uh, with, you know, Steph Curry and Clay and Draymond. So that's yeah. probably a good fit at number two. That's pre- That's been a pretty unanimous selection, right? Like in mock I- drafts. 
Yeah, the only other thing that I would think is if they go Denny Avdia because they need another wing. Yeah, okay. So go, James Wiseman goes number two. Hmm. Charlotte Hornets select Anthony Edwards from Georgia. So, again, that's the interchangeable one for you. Another guard um, that you could maybe put number one overall or maybe number three overall to Charlotte. So maybe LaMelo and Anthony Edwards are interchangeable. At number four, you yeah. have uh, Denny Avdia. Yeah. Um, and Denny Ab- – or is Avdia, sorry. And uh, and it, it ba- basically no, – it's Avdia. Time, is it Avdia? Yeah, Avdia. Okay. I was right the first time. Yeah. Gosh darn it, I keep messing it up. Uh, source recently said that Chicago's old regime loved Avdia. So there is a new group in charge. Um, and you seem to believe that the Chicago Bulls could pull the trigger on Denny. Yeah, I still think he makes a lot of sense for them. Um, one, uh, the new general manager, the new guy who's going to be picking the players, let's say that, uh, the guy overseeing basketball operations came from the Denver Nuggets. They have a great international scouting department. And Chicago has spent uh, so much draft capital, both court um, and in the backcourt, that I just think it, it makes a lot of sense for Avdia. They can make the argument that not only is he the best player available at that time, but he's also the best fit. It's the best combination of the two things that teams debate when it comes to the draft. Um, they have Otto Porter Jr. He played just 14 games last year. He's got a huge player option attached to his contract. Uh, if he picks that up, maybe he's a trade candidate because he's on an expiring contract. So I just think the more you dig into this, uh, as much as Obi Toppin is definitely in play for Chicago at four, I think Obi's in play starting at two, actually, with the Warriors. Um, I think they would go with Denny as the the best combination of of talent and fit. All right, so Denny Avdia goes number four to Chicago, leaving the Cavaliers with the best player available. And the Cavaliers are going to go best player available, according to GM Kobe Altman. Yeah. So, and that's exactly what you said. It's uh, the best player available at number five at that point for the Cavaliers would be, um, I don't know if you'd consider this a fan favorite, maybe. God, maybe no. Because of the Ohio thing, no? No, not based no? on the responses that I've gotten today. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of fans say, oh, you know, I'd like this guy. All right, it's none other than Obi Toppin, power forward slash center from Dayton. Yeah. And obviously Obi Toppin was the best, you know, college basketball player in this past season. But there are definitely questions uh, about his size, about his age, about his development. Um, but apparently from what you're saying, Chris – is that the Cavaliers really like Dylan Windler, and they like Dylan Windler to the point where they're not going to pass on the best player available um, just to pick a three. Yeah, so I think there are a lot of things here in play. Um, First, Hayden, if... hmm, I'm trying to say how I can... trying to think how I can say this. So in some ways, I think four and five are interchangeable with Chicago and Cleveland. Yeah. And, And I think it sounds simplistic... But I think the Cavs would just take the person that Chicago doesn't. Yep. I mean, if Chicago goes with Toppin at four, then I think the Cavs go with Denny at five. Um, Okay. I don't know that there's anybody really in play for Chicago at four other than that maybe Killian Hayes, but but I don't know about that, actually. So it, it starts there. And I wrote in September, you know, initially... I had dismissed Obi 
because so much of everything that the Cavs were saying um, since everything stopped in March was we need to get better defensively. We need to get better defensively. We can't be the worst defense in the NBA for a third year in a row. Right. And then I had a bunch of conversations around uh, the NBA, and I got the vibe that Toppin was very much in play at number five. And we talked about that on the podcast. I wrote about that. It was more than I originally thought. And I think there are a couple of things here. Uh, One, this year's draft is so weird. The pre-draft process is, but even beyond that, a lot of these guys that are considered the most talented have huge red flags, yes. more so than usual. You can say that about every draft because you're taking these college kids and you're trying to project how they're going to be in the NBA. Um, but even more so this year, because look, LaMelo Ball was a horrible interview, like I said. There were people yeah. around the NBA that questioned his professionalism already. On top of that, He only played a little bit, and he played in Australia. So it's not the level of competition that uh, the Cavs and other teams around the NBA are used to evaluating him against. Uh, You talk about James Wiseman, so talented. Ballyhooed recruit going to Memphis. He plays three games. Three. And then Anthony Edwards, as talented as he is, he was on one of the worst teams in the SEC, and people are like, if this dude is so talented that we're considering him with the first overall pick, how is it that Georgia was trash? So I think people are looking at OB Toppin here, and and I think a lot of teams around the NBA are going to look for the guys with the fewest red flags, with uh, the limited character concerns, the guys who check off the controllable box. And I think beyond the fact that OB Toppin is – maybe the best offensive player in the draft Uh, beyond the fact that there are some people that view him as the modern day big because he's got an inside outside skill and he's got crazy explosiveness and athleticism to protect the rim and maybe play bigger than a six foot nine 220 pound frame indicates Uh, beyond that they're like work ethic got it right experience got it maturity got it You know, even though there are questions about him defensively and some people wonder about his natural position in the NBA, he's still considered one of the safest players in a draft that doesn't have a lot of those. You know, Tyrese Halliburton is considered a clean prospect. Isaac Okoro is considered a clean prospect. Uh, Denny Avdia, same thing. Uh, Obi Toppin is right there in that mix. So you combine the offense— Uh, with the athleticism, um, with the way that he played this past year at Dayton, with the work ethic, with the attitude, and suddenly you're like, okay, not only could he be considered the best available player at that time, he's not divisive the way that some of these other guys are. Like even Devin Vassell, a lot of people like him, but all of a sudden he's got this funky looking shot that has emerged out of nowhere and people are like, what the hell is he doing? Like, why did he change his shot after shooting 41% in back-to-back years from three-point range? So all of a sudden, like, one of the guys who appeared to be one of the cleaner prospects is a little bit more divisive 
because he's got this funky looking shot that came out on video and the person deleted the video probably because the agent was like hey get rid of that that looks terrible it looks like he's launching it from behind his head so that's what i think comes into play for the Cavs. like they didn't get one of the top three picks they got five that's where they landed so i think they're looking at it saying obi would be really really safe maybe he's not an all-star in the future but he's not going to fail. What a perfect transition. I was just going to ask you about this Devin Vassell jump shot. Dude. You wrote about it. The cab, We've talked Dude. about Devin Vassell. You talked with uh, Leonard Williams. I mean, we, you know, we've heard all about this kid, and maybe he was an, uh, an option for the Cavaliers. Um, but all of a sudden, this video comes out, and it looks like a broken jump shot. I mean, we've talked oh about God. LaMelo's broken jump shot. And Devin Vassell played pretty well from three-point range in, at Florida State in Tallahassee. What in the hell happened? I have no idea. I asked somebody. <laughs> I asked multiple people around the NBA. And a, I, the question that I asked was, like, does this kill any chance of him going top five? Because really, that's what I think a lot of people are wondering. He was starting to get top five buzz. There was somebody in San Francisco that wrote about the Warriors considering him at number two. Or maybe the Warriors trading back and taking him because they like him so much. And then I had been getting vibes that he was in the mix for the Cavs, one of six or seven players in the mix for the Cavs at number five. So I was like, all right, you know, does this change this? And it depends who you ask, Hayden. I asked a scout and he was like, I like him, but there's no way I would take him top five now. I was like, whoa, are you kidding me? Wow. And then I asked somebody else in the NBA and they were like, uh, it matters, but we want to see it in person. We want to talk to him about why he changed it. We're not going to make that particular conclusion as of yet. So it just kind of depends. It's eye of the beholder type thing. Um, either way, I don't think it's great because if you look at him in comparison with the other wings, so it's Vassell, Avdia, and Isaac Okoro. They're all battling to be the number one wing off the board. And they're very similar in the fact that they've got great character, great work ethic. Um, there aren't a lot of red flags with them, not a lot of questions about them. Um, but then if you talk about the skill set in particular, Hayden, it was supposed to be a separator for Vassell that there weren't questions about his shooting. Everybody's wondering if Okoro can shoot. He couldn't in his one year at Auburn, right? Like he shot 28% from three-point range. I think he was right around 70% from the free throw line. Those are two numbers that teams really look at. So everyone's like, well, you know, Okoro's this great two-way potential player, but he can't shoot right now. That's a big concern. What if he never is able to shoot at the level that we need him to to be respectable? Um, and then Denny, pff, it's well-documented with his outside shot. You know, he even was asked about it in the NBA draft combine virtual interviews. Uh, somebody was like, hey, look, your, your shot is uh, the numbers aren't very good. And he was like, I agree. I need to work on that. Da, 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 da. But Vassell wasn't supposed to have that attached to him. He was supposed to be the three and D guy where you have both the three right now and the D. And maybe in the future, he could expand his offensive game a little bit more where he could create for others. He could create on his own. And then all of a sudden, you lifted the ceiling of a player like that. But now I think people are questioning a trait that they weren't questioning before. And that makes it really, really hard with about a month before the NBA draft that 
an evaluation may completely change because this wasn't a question going in. It was a smooth enough release. Uh, there wasn't a hitch in it. It was quick enough where he could get a shot off um, with a defender close to him. And now all of a sudden teams are like, wait a minute, are we going to have to completely rejigger this shooting motion um, to get it to the way that it needs to be in the NBA? Like it's too slow. It's coming yeah. from way behind his head and he's throwing his whole body into it. You know, every tenth of a second in the NBA could be a huge difference when it comes to shooters that are trying to get their shot off in space. Well, I know the video is deleted, but just don't watch it. It's not, Oh, it's so it's, bad. It's not good. And it's also bad. and I don't and I, I I you know, I was looking through your mock draft and you posted Obi Toppin highlights. Don't watch those either. And here's why. <laughs> Don't watch those because you will get so excited. I swear, like, you will get, you will have, like, at least for me, I saw, like, shades of, like, LeBron. Oh, like, boy. This guy, like, in, I mean, again, look at the competition he's playing against. But, like, some of the dunks that he's throwing down, I'm like, okay, that's LeBron-esque. He threw down, like, a lefty windmill. I'm like, all right, that's LeBron-esque. Yeah. And I don't think he's that kind of player. But my question for you about Obi Toppin is, what kind of three-point? I mean, wh what kind of three-point shooter do you think he is, and what kind of three-point shooter do you think he can be? Because again, that that can be a huge aspect of his game if he's going to be a six-nine guy who can hit the shot from outside. Well, that's the thing that that teams really like about him. He's the modern-day big. Right. He's a stretch five who has crazy bounce and athleticism to also be able to protect the rim, despite the fact that he's six foot nine. Um, the questions with him more are about his lateral quickness and whether he can guard on the perimeter. But offensively, made 39% from three uh, this past year at Dayton after making 52% um, his first year at Dayton. Uh, so there's a belief that this is a pick-and-pop option. Yeah. Uh, and you like that, especially for the Cavs, yes, a do. team that, that wants to create that space. That's why they value Kevin Love so much. That's why they value Larry Nance Jr. so much. Like He's that kind of uh, versatile big, especially on the offensive end. Defense is the big question, of course. Right. So, I mean, that's that's got to be something they take into account. I mean, that's I mean the other thing is, like, people feel like he can be a successful outside shooter, Hayden, in the NBA because his motion is repetitive. Yeah. And they see the same form over and over and over again. And on top of that, you know, he shot about 71% from the free throw line. And usually people look at, okay, free throw percentage, that translates to shooting form and shooting mechanics and shooting percentage. So this is a guy who could probably play some small ball five because he can stretch it out to the perimeter and maybe play some four in bigger lineups as well. Uh, playing him at three is a no-go because he just can't defend out there on the perimeter. I mean, he would be fun. I think that would be – I think if he came to Cleveland, that would be fun. But, like, is that what they want? Do they want fun? Do they want – or somebody, like you said, they do they want to grow – you know, make this a defensive, gritty, hard-nosed basketball team? I mean, there's a very big yeah. difference. And yeah, you're right. I mean, that's what they say they want, but there's no evidence that that's what they want. You know what I mean? Right. right. So, like – it's it's easy for Kobe Altman and, and JB Bickerstaff to say, "Hey, we've got to get better defensively." It's quite another thing to actually start making moves in order to do that, where you start believing that is actually one of their intentions. But you know, every single move that they have made, with the exception of the Andre Drummond trade, 
has been about offense. Darius Garland was about being a natural point guard because they didn't have one going into the future and because he was a great shooter. And Dylan Windler, great shooter. And Kevin Porter Jr., great one-on-one threat with the ability one day to maybe be that great two-way wing that all teams covet. Um, if, If the Cavs go this direction with Obi, on the heels of saying we need to get better personnel defensively, that's going to be harder for them to justify, if we're being honest, because that is the biggest question when it comes to Obi Toppin. If if he was viewed as a better defender, especially on the perimeter, that's the big one. Can he go out on the perimeter and defend these guys? Can he switch onto wings and defend them and hold his own laterally and stuff like that? Like. If, if that wasn't a question, we'd be talking about a top three pick. And who knows? We may still be talking about a top three pick because the Warriors are looking for help now players. And Obi can come in right now and help an NBA team. Do you think the Cavaliers believe that they can turn these guys into defensive guys? I mean, is it more of a mindset? Is it more of technique? You know, or hmm. is it just, you know, because... Obviously, you're right. They've taken offensive-minded players, and they're looking at offensively. Is yeah. Do they have a belief within their system that, yeah, things aren't great right now defensively, but we can make them better? I know when I was talking to somebody with the organization at the time that they hired John Beeline, um, before they hired John Beeline, J.B. Vickerstaff was considered a finalist. He was one of the guys that they really, really liked, and they liked him so much that they made – Uh, him, John Beeline's lead assistant. And part of the reason why they like JB is because they felt like he was able to get more out of players. He was able to maximize guys. Um, He was in Memphis and they had just traded Mark Gasol, who was kind of like the anchor of the defense. And they still finished with a top 10 defensive rating. So I think the Cavs believe in JB Bickerstaff's ability to scheme around weaknesses The only thing that I would say to counter that is there's only so much you can do with a scheme. There's only so much that you can do in a system. At the end of the day, the the teams that are the quality defensive teams, the teams that are top 10 in defensive rating, usually are the ones that have the, the, the good individual defensive players. And if you look at the Cavs, just from an individual standpoint, they have... We've talked about this, maybe two or three plus defenders. Right. I mean, that's really, really tough to scheme around, Hayden, especially when when your starting backcourt uh, looks to be Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. Like those are the kinds of guys that need as much help around them um, in terms of individual defenders as they can possibly get. I think regardless of who they take, it's going to be, it's going to be just in, I just, I mean, obviously it's been so long since they've played. I just can't wait to see, you know, whether it's, whether it's Avdia, whether it's Obi Toppin, whether, you know, mm. even Wiseman. I've, I saw something where Wiseman fell to them. Um, it's oh, they would just, run. They would run to the podium and turn that card in. Oh yeah, absolutely. At number five. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's absolutely, you know, but I, I do, I mean, the chances of that happening, I just think are so low. But I either don't way, know. Like, it depends what the Warriors do at two, right. right? So let's say the Warriors, let's say the Warriors take, hmm, I'm trying to think of the scenario that would have to play out for this to happen. Okay. So Edwards goes one, the Warriors take 
Denny Avdia at two. Uh, Charlotte would consider Wiseman in a big, big way. But would they take Wiseman over LaMelo Ball if Ball falls to three? Which is a real possibility because, again, the Timberwolves could very easily take Anthony Edwards over LaMelo Ball. So then Charlotte takes LaMelo, I would say, over Wiseman. Because I think there are more people around the NBA that view LaMelo as the best player in the draft than do James Wiseman. And then at four, like, that's a really hard justification for a team like Chicago. So I think Chicago then, Hayden, would either go Isaac Okoro or maybe even Killian Hayes to have that playmaking, um, ball-handling guard to complement Zach Levine and Kobe White. So all of a sudden, that's the scenario where James Wiseman is there at five. And in this draft, with this particular class, where there are some very divisive guys at the very top, like we talked about, Yes, I think some of these divisive prospects could fall further than people think because I think teams would be more comfortable with the guys who don't have as many red flags and they don't have the character concerns and they have the quote-unquote controllables that you're willing as an organization to buy into and invest. It's hard to invest in somebody like James Wiseman. Honestly, it is. Yeah. Um, It's hard to invest in LaMelo Ball. I really think that, even though I think he's the best player in the draft. It's a tough investment for your organization to make. You're going to, if you use like a top five pick on this guy, Hayden, you're talking about immediately making him the face of the franchise. Yes. Yes, you are. Absolutely. And there are Uh, a lot of things that go into that. Yeah. And well, do you think you'd be the face of the Cavaliers right away? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I do. Wow. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, just who is the face of the Cavs right now? Kevin? Kevin Yeah, probably. Probably Kevin still. But I mean, you're right in that uh, he just he he comes with such a family tie and such all that. You know, you're right. Which is crazy to think about. I mean, obviously in Minnesota, I think he'd obviously be the face of the franchise. Maybe in Golden State, he wouldn't be. You got Stephen Clay. Yeah, he um, wouldn't be. I mean, Minnesota so, is debatable because Carl Anthony Towns is there, yeah. even though he hasn't really won anything. Right. Charlotte, he would definitely be. Yeah. Chicago. I don't know. It's probably still Zach Levine. Levine. Yeah. Probably. It, Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. You either. know, that's tough because. Like, the way that people in Chicago view Levine is probably different than the way people around the NBA do, or, or fans around the NBA do. Right. And also with, with um, I mean, no matter what, he's going to be a story. That's the whole thing. He's going to be oh, a big God, story, yeah. and he's going to draw a lot of eyes no matter where he goes. But he um, also has to represent the franchise, because we've talked about this before. You're not just drafting a skill set. You're drafting yep. a person. Yep. Yep. And you've discussed, you know, he's had his issues with interviews and whatnot. So you're exactly right. My big, my big, um, I think if I were to do a mock draft, I think my uh-huh. biggest thing would be, and I know it's hard to do, it's very hard to do. Um, I would, I would definitely have a trade in the top five. I don't think it's going to end up being the way that it is. Who trades up? Like the Knicks, yeah. somebody, somebody, somebody makes a move up there. Because some, because I think um, gonna fall. Hmm. 
somebody's going to fall in love with Denny or somebody's going to fall in love with LaMelo or somebody's going to fall. Like, say Anthony Edwards goes number one. Say um, say James Wiseman goes number two. Somebody's going to want to trade up to, to get to get LaMelo. And I think he, I think New York would be, you know, because obviously you mentioned the Knicks. Like, yeah. I just I just would see that happening. I can see the Knicks. They also have that second first round pick. Right. You know, another team that I think is sneaky for a potential trade up is Boston. Boston has really? three okay. first round picks. Their first one is at 14, but they have three in total. And I think they have one open roster spot. Now, okay. could that change? Sure, that could change. But Boston's not a team that can add three rookies to this roster. They just can't. They're going to well, trade think somewhere. I also don't think they're a team that could add LaMelo, but they could add a bunch of other pieces. Right. I mean, they could get, they could try and trade up for Wiseman. Right. Wiseman makes a lot of sense for a team that was murdered by Bam Adebayo in the playoffs. Oh, man. Come on. Give me Taco over. <laughs> Give me Taco <laughs> over James Wiseman. Let's go. You are talking to the number one Taco Fall fan in the entire world. Oh my and God. a huge Taco Fall fan. Taco so, Island. Enjoy Taco, Taco Island, Island, baby. And I know, I listen, I know that it's not even close. But, I, I mean, yeah. coming out of college, Taco, like, he was impressive. And I'm, I'm glad he's, you know, at least hanging on a little bit here. Like, I remember, when they almost beat, I, I remember when they almost beat Duke. Like, you know, for a guy that big, <laughs> for a guy that big, he just uses his size pretty well. Yeah, he's a little awkward, but not as awkward as some other some other seven six guys that I've seen. Yeah, the NBA is just such a different game, though. Oh, I know. I, know. I wish it was like 1985. He'd be dominating. Another but, team that's a candidate to trade up, I think, is Phoenix because they're sitting at ten. And in my mock draft, I still have Devin Vassell on the board, but Phoenix could be a team that is playing musical chairs of wings and point guards. And then they don't have one at ten. Yeah. They and they they they're they're feeling themselves right now after that bubble run. So they might be Rightfully ready. Rightfully so, to they're in win now mode. Right, exactly. So that that's a great point too. So yeah, I would pick one of those teams. I I'm, I would see one trade in the top five. And, and maybe it's not Cleveland. Maybe it's Charlotte. Maybe it's you know, yeah, um, Golden State. But I, I, it also it seems hard for me to think that Golden State would trade because. I mean, unless they got a really good – again, it takes two to tango and unless they get blown out of the water. But they really are looking for a win-now piece. So. Well, I mean, that's why – okay, so let's say Phoenix, for example. Right. So Phoenix says, we'll give you Kelly Oubre Jr. and 10, you give us two. Yeah, yeah. I think I that's think a deal that probably gets done. I think that would work. Unless they really loved, um, you know, Somebody Wiseman too, that much. But- yeah, I don't know that they would love anybody at two. Yeah, just because it's such a, you it's know. This draft, it's it's considered yeah. the weakest draft since 2013. Yep. So that's yep. the other thing that you have to wonder, Hayden. What is, what is the cost for a team moving up in the top five in what is considered the weakest draft since 2013? And would a team then be more likely to try and do that because the cost wouldn't be what it is usually. Right. Yeah, I don't know. that's a good point. That's a good point. Something to consider. All right, Chris. Uh, we have uh, plenty of time till the NBA draft, and uh, we will have probably many more mock drafts from you, I think. Well, maybe not many more, but a couple more, maybe one more. I, think I don't two know. two more. One two or two. More. I can't remember what the agreement was. 
Okay. Well, one or two more, and um, we'll definitely be chatting about it more. Uh, but if you got nothing else, folks, um, remember to sign up for the uh, subtext, Chris's subtext. Again, you can uh, access all of his Cavaliers inside information and analysis. Uh, it is a $3.99 a month venture, 14-day free trial. You can sign up at 216-208-4499. Again, a 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month. And that is a way to get your questions into the One Gold Talk podcast. Otherwise, Chris, we will talk to you next week. Wait, I have a question for you before we yes. get out of here. Sure. So if you were doing the mock draft instead of me, and it went the way that mine did in the first four, Lamelo, Wiseman, Edwards, Denny, who would you have mocked to the Cavs at five? Would you have oh, done Obi? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Over a Coro? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I just think Obi's the if they're gonna take the best player available, I think that Obi's the best best pick in that scenario. I mean the best player at that scenario. I mean yeah. he might not be perfect for what the Cavaliers are looking for, but if he's the best player at that, you know, that's what they're gonna do, and that's what they're gonna do. So I think here's the tough debate when it comes to Coro and Obi. Each guy has like a glaring flaw. For Okoro, okay. people are concerned about his offense. They're concerned about his outside shot. They're wondering if he's ever going to be able to be a respectable shooter that keeps a defense honest. Like that's if great. he does, if he does, like that's big time. You're yeah. probably going to have the best player from this year's class. But assuming that's going though. to Yes, exactly right. It's a big if, and assuming that it's going to happen for him, it's tough to make that assumption. So on the flip side, it's that way with Obi on the defensive end. But I just don't think anybody looks at Obi's defense and saying that's such a detriment that it takes away from his gifts on the offensive end. I agree. And it's an, at the bottom, at the end of the day, I know that the Cavaliers want to have a good defense, but it's an offensive league. I mean, it's turning into one. And maybe that shifts, but, you know, I think that they would just take the, the off, more offensively gifted player over the question mark every day of the week. I know, but it's so hard when you're giving up 140 points every night. Uh, I, I hear you. I mean, in, in, saying, in saying what you said, it's not like the Cavs were this great offensive team either last year. Right, exactly. I mean, I think we do have to put this in perspective, too. Do the Cavs have struggles on defense? Yes. They were historically bad two years ago. They were the worst defense in the NBA this past year. But they were also number 26 on offense. Right. So they could use some offense, too. Exactly. That's the whole point. Yes, they could use some defense. They, they need help. They're, t- they're a bottom eight team. They can use any help that they can get. Yes. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line is that they could use any help that they can get. You know, if that means they score better and maybe they will win a few more games if they have a better offense and even if the defense still stinks. I mean, you know, they, they just need to get better, period. Yeah. Period. All right, Chris, anything else? No, that's it. That was the only question that Speak I Speak now so. or forever hold your peace. I'm done now. Okay. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll keep watching Obi Toppin highlights and convincing myself he's the next LeBron James. <laughs> that's what I'm going to keep doing. I mean, look at watch the dunks. Go to Chris's piece and watch the dunks. It's insane. It's, I mean, not that dunks are all that matter, but at least the Cavaliers would have a dunk contest, um, assuming they have a dunk contest. They would have a dunk contest uh, participant. I mean, the guy can throw it down. I told um, you thank- who the comp is, right? Yeah, Larry Nance Jr. Yeah, Larry Nance Jr. I yeah, I see similarities. I do. I do. Larry, Obviously, Larry Nance Jr. sees some similarities too. Yeah, we I mean we talked to him about it, absolutely. 
He's, yep. He guessed it. He said the compass. <laughs> yeah, I know. Both, he probably both. he probably knows me so well by now that that he knows that there was a reason why I asked him that question that way, and it was kind of a giveaway that it was coming from me. Exactly. I mean, they both have a lot of bounce. Both athletic. Yeah. I think Larry's getting there at the three point line. So we'll see. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We will talk to you next week on the One and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove, joined as always by Chris Fedor. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Thank you.